Hey friends, May is Feminist Frequency's 12th birthday. Can you believe it? 12 years of feminist media criticism of working to end abuse in the games industry. So if you want to keep us going for another 12 years, please consider donating today. You can visit feministfrequency.com for more info. It's so quick. It's so instinctual. I don't even question that this information has been made available for me and that this doesn't come out of nowhere. There are companies, there are departments of companies devoted to making sure that you have as much information as you could desire. Welcome to Feminist Frequency Radio. This is the show that asks you to be critical of the media you love. I'm Anita Sarkeesian, and I'm joined today by two women so famous, they don't even need last names. But I'm going to give them anyways. Carolyn Pettit. I'm going to live forever. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> and Ebony Adams. Fame. Rob, keep that in. Yeah, please. So this week, we're going to be talking about fame, fandom, and the dangerously seductive allure of celebrity. So stick around. What's up, friends? Hi. Thank you for taking on my job, Ebony. Yes. Well, I was trying to help out. I was trying to help out. I love it. I love help. Um, I um, listened to so that? much 80s this weekend. I like dressed up in an 80s outfit and listened to 80s. And I, this intro just, just just says all around. It made me feel like. Were I'm, you by yourself doing this or was this for like a gathering? Uh, it was me and a friend. We went to a thing and we dressed 80s for it. Well, I think that's awesome. Although I would have loved it if you had done it just for yourself, like in your home. I'm not, um, I just don't, I can't, you know, like people do that sometimes you can't dr- or they'll like do that in your home, you know, like they'll like put on a bunch of makeup and get all dressed up. I'm like, if I ain't got no one to show it to, what's the fucking point? <laughs> I just can't. Treat yourself. Listen, treat I don't yourself. Care. The whole, the point of like looking good is to have people appreciate that you look good. I'm sorry. Okay. We'll unpack that in a later episode, sure. but I, I, I want you to be able to explore this, you know, just on a random Wednesday, if you want to, you I, know, I mean, like live I, your best Stranger Things life off, you know, event clock. I well, so I didn't say Stranger Things, so you just pulled that in, but um, I did. <laughs> I didn't say it on the podcast. I told it to you before, but um, oh, I was just thinking, like immediately when people, whatever, yeah, and that's a fault. That's a problem I have. No, I I have no problem with the ability to dress up on my own if I want to. Just psychologically feels silly. Um, I did go to the Stranger Things drive through experience here in Los Angeles. That's oh, that's what, right. What you did, did mention that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Are they actually <laughs> talking about it in the bonus? Are they actually showing movies at the drive-in or what is it? Like- it's not a drive-in. It's They took over a um, a parking garage in mm. downtown LA. Yeah. And so you like you drive into the to the Stark Court Mall Okay. Uh, for like for the pre-show and oh. then you drive like to an area in the in the parking garage and then you're like and then there's like <clears throat> a story unfolding so there's actors running around they're like jumping up onto your oh. car and shit and then mm. you like drive to another section and there's like more theater stuff and so you're literally like it's a drive-through immersive okay thing. right so it's not okay i was thrown was off it by the tra- fun yeah. did you like it um yeah like i'm glad i went it wasn't like I got caught up in like the how it was made aspect of it, like the mm-hmm. in- intensity of like the sound design and the music design. And it's all level design, right? Because you're literally like drive, you're like guiding hundreds of cars through mm-hmm. a parking garage at the exact timing that you need everyone to be at. Um, and it it was fine. Like I, it was, it was a cool thing. I think there are little aspects of it that were fun, but like it didn't like blow my mind or anything. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a cool thing especially like because they've been running this since October I think so it was Mm -hmm. a really cool thing I suspect that if it was during like like hardcore quarantine before a bunch of us have been vaccinated like and you can't go anywhere or do anything like it's all quote-unquote safe at least for the participants because you're just in your car Mm -hmm. so you know that's kind of cool yeah um it it sounds cool but it also sounds I don't know why a bit to me like those um immersive haunted Halloween. I think it was when you said like people jumping on your cars and I was just like, nope. Uh-uh. I mean, nobody jumped on my car, but there were people. Right. Did that's write, when I was like, okay, you know, I need to, you know, back up here. But there is sure- like, you know, the, the, um, what's the name of the Demogorgon or whatever, mm-hmm. like that shit, mm-hmm. like the, 
That shit comes right up to your window and scares the yeah, shit out of you uh, when you're not okay, so again, looking. Then I, I retract my retraction. <laughs> not into it. <laughs> yeah. Not into it. But it wasn't like, and you know, I'm a, I'm a big baby when it comes to horror things. Like, it wasn't that scary. They were just like, um, yeah, anyways, it was cool. It was a cool thing. I'm glad I did it. I think, you know, I get why it was so expensive because it's such a massive production, but I don't really feel mm-hmm. like it was worth how much I paid to go to it, you know? And is it still going on? Yeah, it is. Oh, okay. Kid A would love that. I'm going to send her happy ass down there. Yeah, you should. You should. And and dre- and dress up because they do like costume contest stuff if they see you all dressed up and shit. Oh. Yeah. Anyways, enough of that shit. Why don't mm-hmm. we talk about what we're going to talk about? <laughs> Let's talk about what we're going to talk about. <laughs> okay. This week we are talking fame, celebrity culture, and fandom. Although the concept of celebrity is nothing new, the modern contours of the phenomenon are ripe for unpacking. Witness things like Vice Magazine's recent fame issue, specifically devoted to sketching out the ways that the modern relationship to our pop cultural obsessions is shaping both our lives and the lives of the people we diligently scrutinize, often for the worse. Uh, Trying to explore this phenomenon can often feel like traversing a Mobius strip of cause and effect. And there's overlapping concerns that stack onto each other that make it particularly thorny. Things like race, gender, age, class, you name it. We're talking about just a few of these things today, including toxic celebrity, access and entitlement, and the false democratization of fame that offers a little bit of notoriety to anyone. Um, So, yeah, I am excited to talk about this today. I hope we have a really fruitful conversation. I started thinking about this when I saw that that, um, Vice magazine issue on fame because I, you know, just clicked at random on one of the articles in the issue. And it was the one about Ava Rose, this young girl. I believe she's, what is she, 19 now? She's still very, very young. This young woman who had amassed this huge following on TikTok and her life collapsed in just a horrific way um, because of the attention of, you know, one bad actor in particular, but, you know, the like, um, the, the pressures of existing under that scrutiny, I don't think it's something that anyone is ready for, but certainly not someone who has like a team around them in the way that like, we're kind of accustomed to celebrities having a team of people protecting them. And also people who are, you know, slightly older, maybe with more life experience and more like, I don't know, hopefully sort of emotional insulation. I was just really struck by this because I was like, here's someone who I've literally never heard of before today, you know? And part of that is just age, right? I'm 87 years old. But also she operates in an arena in which I have no investment, but she is you know, by any measure, someone who was well known. I mean, yeah, maybe a kind of niche celebrity. And I just thought this is this is fascinating. I cannot imagine um, what we are doing to people. And yet it seems as if this is something that so many people continue to chase. You know, the idea of like being well known, which to them will equal well loved, which will then also equal tremendous success and riches. Right. And it doesn't matter how many times we see the the ruptures in that illusion, people keep chasing and there seem to be more and more avenues for for people to to try and, you know, gain it. So I was like, you know what, let's let's spend some time talking about this. And then as I, you know, started thinking about, you know, how we would shape the conversation to today, um, it just seemed as if like the more I started unpacking different readings around fame, the more issues started, you know throwing themselves at my face. So I know we're going to get into a bunch of stuff today, including one of the things that you brought up in um, the Film Freak Slack, Anita, which is toxic celebrity. Yeah. I feel like there's so many pieces of this conversation. I don't even know yeah. where to begin. Mm-hmm. Like, I think let's this. just dive in. Like, this is not, you know, um, someone's doctoral dissertation. You know, there are absolutely things that we aren't going to touch on that I'm sure we'll get, you know, messages about like, well, what about this? And you know, whatever, it's impossible over the course of 40 minutes to offer like a complete cogent encapsulation of this. But there's so much to talk about, right? And I'm really interested in hearing what you have to say because you are someone who has dealt with this. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, well, listen, I don't want you to, I don't want you to like, you know, have to, you know, unpack your trauma box for people. But I do think like you, you offer a perspective that, you know, Carol and I, don't have I don't 
I don't have the experience of having been on the cover of Time magazine. You I know? was not on the fucking cover, <laughs> Ebony. But you know up. what I'm saying, right? <laughs> yeah. You were, what, what were yeah. you, one of Time's most important people? Yeah, whatever. So- Time's, Time's cutest 80s cosplayers? Hell yeah, that's me. That's what I, can I be famous for that? Yeah, I'm a write in right now to the governing fame board. Great. Appreciate it. Um, Yeah, I think like I have a very uncomfortable relationship with celebrity even before like experiencing a tiny bit of it. Um, And, you know, it's it it always feels kind of gross to talk about celebrity in relation to myself because like it's not like I'm fucking Angelina Jolie, you know, like it's it's just like a different Mm -hmm. level. But the reality is that there is a whole world of like digital social mm-hmm. media people who are known right and have their mm-hmm. own celebrity and there's a whole industry yeah. that's been built around it and um in this reminds me of um in felicia day's book the intro is a story about how she was in a mall like at build-a-bear or something <laughs> ridiculous like that and these kids came up to her and were like holy shit you're felicia day and their mom was like who and she mm-hmm. and she just used that as this story to encapsulate like when you're known on the internet, like you're really fucking known by a group yeah. of people. And, you know? and, and it's only becoming more and more splintered as more and more platforms uh, give rise to their own internal celebrities, right? Like right. you might be like really huge on Twitch, but uh, but not be known at all on like Twitter or YouTube or like huge right. on TikTok and not known on, you know, on other platforms. Right. So you have, you have like, not only is it just social media in general, but it's like all these individual ecosystems at work mm-hmm. too, that each have their own like hierarchy of celebrities, which I just yeah. think is yeah. a completely novel, like thing. Like, I mean, it's, you know, the, the whole, the way the nature of celebrity is just changing uh, so rapidly um, uh, right now. And, and mm-hmm. I think that there's like, I don't there, So there's a struggle here around the fact that like, you know, there's kids are growing up wanting to be famous. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's not new, but it's now attainable in a different way than it ever was. And right. like, there's something really gross about that to me. Like I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't set out to be a, a known person. I set out to like, be annoyed with academia <laughs> you know <laughs> like this was my pathway to like educate to do education in a different different forum which you know w- whatever that doesn't really who who gives a shit about that but i think that like what you you pointed out this idea of the democratization of fame which is bullshit um in yeah. a lot of ways but that there's this idea that if you are like you know you can you can attain money and stardom by being your authentic self online, like if you start doing it when you're five at this point, right? Like that you build an audience and everyone will love you and it's all great. But I think what we're we're not uh, seeing is the exhaustion and the toll that it takes to build that platform. Because it's not like you go do a bunch of movies and then mm-hmm. have to do some interviews and you're famous. It's that your life 24 seven now becomes a product Mm -hmm. and you're even seeing this with celebrities that we consider like you know hollywood celebrities is it's not just you know being an actor in general or whatever whatever role it is but musician what have you like is exhausting enough to do your craft but then having to do all of the media and all of the promotion and all of the touring and all of that shit and then now you also have to be online Right yes. now, you also have to have a social media presence. So I think the combination of all of that, like we we don't really realize like what we are demanding of and asking of with this constant churning of quote unquote content, which is literally your life, and, yeah. <laughs> you know, and the illusion yeah. of connection, like like the paras- right. like the idea of the parasocial relationship. The you want other you want people to feel like they know you like they have access to you in some way like maybe like you're kind of almost like their friend but but you know but with that that's where so much of the danger lies and so much you know so many people get can can get attached in ways that are that are uh unhealthy or inappropriate and everything so yeah yeah i 
I want to go back uh, um, real quick to the notion of like um, fandom communities mm. and different fandoms. One of the people that I follow on Twitter, he writes for the Root. His name is Michael Harriet. Writes for tons of outlets. But one of the funny things he has talked about in various tweet threads is the concept of like black famous versus white famous. And in his schematic, um, the far end of it is someone who is known to like every black person, but known to no white people. Mm -hmm. And so he'll periodically do these threads. And it's always hilarious because you absolutely, you know, you'll have people like dropping names or whatever. And then the responses from people outside of the community who are like, yep, I literally have no idea who this is. And then, you know, a bunch of black people chiming in and be like, how do you not know, you know, Rollo or whatever. Right. Um, but this I, I definitely wouldn't get into this idea of fan access. So I watched um, The Boy from um, Medellin, and I just learned that apparently that's how you say it if you're from Colombia, not Medellin, but Medellin, um, about J Balvin. Do y'all know who J Balvin is? No. Not really, no. So he is an amazing um, performer. Um, he is from Colombia. He is... <laughs> I believe at one point, um, whatever his latest single was at that time, had the, the most number of streams ever. Like, this dude is absolutely a global phenomenon. And I love that, like, again, you talk about different fandoms and the nature of fame, right? The fact that two out of the three people on this podcast are like, no, I don't really know who this is. And I just vaguely know who this dude is. But because I had read that because May is Mental Health Awareness Month, there's a documentary about him on Amazon Prime. I'm like, oh, let me go check this out. So it's a week in his life. They show him getting ready for a stadium concert in Colombia um, and, you know, flying and, you know, dealing with just these masses of fans, right? Just masses of fans. And he talks about how his struggles with depression and um, anxiety and OCD in particular mean that the effect of his fame on him is that he is physically and mentally incapable of not saying yes when people ask to take pictures with him. Mm. And there is this, to me, like it might as well be a horror movie scene where he is just surrounded by this mass of young kids, you know, kids, teenagers, adults, but mostly really young people. And it's just one after the other. Can I take a picture with you? Can I take a picture with you? And in his voiceover, he's saying, I know that if I say no to someone, I'm going to remember that person for the rest of my life. And I'm going to be oh, so. God. Yeah. And he just, it's this weight, this burden that he has. Um, and I just thought, I, I, there's no way when you sign up um, to, you know, pursue a career of whatever type whether it's, you know, musician, actor, whatever, um, that even if you hope for success, that, that the access that people start demanding of you and that you then put place upon yourself is ever part of, you know, the algorithm, like the, the computations. Well, and you know, also the, you are afraid you're going to lose your status if you start... Um, right. If you start sort of rejecting exactly fans. because you never know. Right. You know, um, there in addition to the ways that the Internet can boost you up, how easy is it for backlash to occur if there's a critical mass of people being like, oh, Jay Balvin, you know, doesn't fuck with his fans like he's too good for us now, whatever mm -hmm. that can have a real effect on people's careers to always have to walk that tightrope. There's absolutely there. But for me, what was most interesting was the that it wasn't about continuing to be famous for him, but it was really about the the responsibility that he felt to like mediate someone else's happiness, you know? And I just thought that's something that no one, no person should carry. No one should feel as if, you know, they don't have um, the right to say no to someone else, to not enforce certain boundaries. And yet fame continually forces this upon people, you know? Um, and I just thought, anyways, it's a, it's a really good um, documentary. There's a lot of really interesting stuff in it about, you know, fame. One of the other things that's going on is that, you know, there is just like, you know, these um, uh, protests happening in the country at the time of this uh, concert against the right-wing government of President Duque in Colombia. And people are saying they want J Balvin to speak out on it. And he doesn't want to do it 
because he's like, no matter what I say, I'm going to upset someone. And at that point, it does become more of, um, uh, it, it is more like transactional. You know, like if I say the wrong thing, then perhaps I'll lose this segment of fans. But it's this constant negotiation um, of these, the, the lives that people lead once you reach a certain level of notoriety. And it is impossible to thread that needle consistently. And I also think there's a complication here too around like, all of us are fans of things, right? Like mm-hmm. we wouldn't be doing a pop culture podcast if we weren't. Right. And like, I think that there are ways in which, and maybe we talk about this in a minute, but just to caveat what I'm about to say is that like, there are ways in which fandom isn't really about the item as much as the community, mm-hmm. right? As much as the people you connect with on this shared thing, right? Whatever it might be. Or the creative works that you, like fan fiction mm-hmm. and vidding and remix and like mm-hmm. art and and all of that stuff. Like, I think there's such a beautiful world of connection around fan fandom in general. Um, but I, one of the things that I think becomes difficult is that, um, well, and I can only speak from my experience, but like I have become a symbol for people, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, the work that I did and the impact that I had on people mm-hmm. um, is it, it, I've become a symbol that, you know, for better or worse, depending on who you are, um, which doesn't really have anything to do with who I am, right? Like, there's nothing right. to do with really yes. who 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 I am as an individual, like, you know, my friends or whatever would say about who I am. And so it becomes this weird thing where, like, you know, when you become a fan of a character on a TV show, you attach that to the actor, right? But the actor mm-hmm. is going to fucking disappoint you. Because they don't give a shit about the things that you give a shit about or even maybe the character gave a shit about, right? And so for me, I struggle with that a little bit where like people can be a little um, uh, intense around me sometimes. And I know that it has nothing to do with me because they don't actually know me, right? They just know who who I represent to them and the impact I had on their lives. Also, like, I mean, for me personally, yes, yes, we are all fans of things, but... I mean, I would say that in the past 10 years or or less, I have become wary of using the word fan to describe myself about anything. Uh, Well, you know, I'll say it that I love a thing, but but it just because it feels so often nowadays as if fan as if being a fan of a thing is associated with a thing or like be it a, a, a fran- uh, like Star Wars or a, a, a an individual, an art, musical artist, a, you know, a, an actor, what have you. Like it can be associated with like feelings of ownership or entitlement of the thing or like ideas that that you want the thing to to fulfill your ideas for for what, you know, it or they should do or should be rather than, you know, um, like. I, I don't know. Like, I mean, you know, when I love an artist, usually I part of what I love about them often anyways, is, is like their maybe their adventurousness and their willingness to do things that aren't just like calculated to be pleasing to their fans. Right. Things that might be like d- kind of not calculated for uh, for commercial impact or 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 fan you know uh fan service or what have you um so anyway like i i just and i mean obviously like uh, you can have healthy fandom but i just personally i'm almost at this point where like i see so many fans in the mold of the kathy bates character from misery that Mm -hmm. uh you know that i'm like you know I, i i just see see fandom in a different in a very different way now in 2021 than I did, you know, 10 years ago or what have you, what have you that I'm almost like reluctant to call myself a fan of anything. I had the um and even though I've been thinking about, you know, what we were going to talk about for the past couple of weeks, I've been reading things. Nevertheless, <laughs> I found myself a day or two ago, um someone tweeted something uh or retweeted something onto my timeline, and I didn't recognize the account that it had been tweeted from. So I went to that original uh, posters page, and I was like, oh, this person looks interesting. Let me, you know, check and see if I can find out anything about them, which 
that step is fine, you know, Um, before you like, you know, wholesale, like (laughs) grace somebody with one of your Twitter files. You want to make sure that they aren't, you know, fucked up in a lot of ways. So, you know, I Google this person. I'm not going to tell you who this this person was. That's kind of immaterial to this. But so I I Google this person. Um, They are, you know, mid-level famous, let's say like D-list level famous. And they have a Wikipedia page, which it seems that (laughs) almost everyone has, right? And I did that thing where I skipped down to personal life, mm-hmm. you know? And in the personal life section, um, there's a link to the person that I believe they're like romantically involved with. And I clicked on that. And it was at that point that I was like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> right, you know, right, like it, right. it's so quick. It's so instinctual. The fact that I don't even question that this information has been made available for me and that it, this doesn't come out of nowhere. There are there are people, there are many, many people, there are companies, there are departments of companies devoted to making sure that you have as much information as you could desire about people. Dude. And there's something deeply wrong about the fact that I have access to um, personal information about some folks lives you know and the level of detail that you can get you can google some shit about me like it's almost all wrong but there's mm-hmm. like these celebrity quote-unquote websites that like if i'm on it that means there's got to be ten thousand million anyone that's ever had any following and is, i'm is like it those ones where it's like anita sarkeesian net worth yeah 10 million dollars uh-huh. and they're almost like almost all of the information is wrong which is hilarious uh <laughs> but like it's so creepy like there's a whole industry and there always has been right like tabloid this is a tabloid mm-hmm. culture right but I, as you were talking, I was thinking about how Carolyn posted today about how like some celebrity is getting divorced and then another celebrity is getting married or getting back together, or whatever. And like the the first one, I didn't know who he was and I Googled him and I was like, mm-hmm. why am I Googling him? I don't even give a shit. <laughs> like, I the don't, fact that I don't I care about any of this. <laughs> like 20 minutes laughing about Jennifer Affleck and uh, Jennifer <laughs> Affleck, Jennifer <laughs> Lopez and Ben Affleck possibly getting back together with someone today and then being like, Wait, why do I know yeah. this information? Why why is this information available? Why has it become so ubiquitous already, this return to couplehood, that it has become like meme worthy, you know, on the social media platforms that I traffic in? Like it happens yeah. that quickly. Yeah. It happens that quickly. You know, the fact that like we there's a whole um, you know, sort of like subculture devoted to taking pictures of Ben Affleck outside of the house, going to get Dunkin' Donuts coffee. Uh, oh, what are we doing? Uh, what are we doing? as a culture for real you know for real yeah um, and but it's so easy to get sucked into that like yeah look, i don't i do not consider myself someone who gets like absorbed like i don't really get starstruck and i don't know if that has to do with like i just gr- basically grew up in la so it, like there's just you see mm-hmm. celebrities all the fucking time um but and you know we, i've already shared the one story of when i did get, <laughs> get starstruck and i was an idiot um but like Every now and again, I do what you you're talking about, Ebony. Where I'm like, oh, I wonder what the deal is with this person. Like, are they married? Are they like, where did they yeah. grow up? Like, I, like I'll just it, be like into an actor, and I'm like, what the who the? They're not my friend. So right. why yes, do I get it's it? So, it's so easy, and those like the, those serotonin hits are just like constantly mm-hmm. available. And Twitter for me is like is the worst because it's just a constant steady stream of stuff like that. Um, I also, though, I, I think, I mean, uh, maybe this isn't this isn't like the biggest issue in in this web of very complex issues, but I, I do think it's you know for me anyway, it's important to mention too that so you know you mentioned um, Ava Ava Rose or you know this like mm-hmm. TikTok celebrity who was like a huge celebrity when she was I don't know you know when her fame started she was what you know fifteen or sixteen yeah. or something like that like another and like uh, an issue I that I think we you know we have to consider too with this like with the rise to fame uh, uh, that's available to some young people on these social media platforms is then the the um the 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 danger the danger of making mistakes right i mean like mm-hmm. and i'm not saying this is like like in a like in a cancel cancel culture is real way or whatever <laughs> but like when you're fucking 16 or 17 you're gonna fucking if you have anything like a normal life and a normal growth and evolution as a person, you're going to say and do some stupid shit. 
Um, and I don't know, like, I just, you know, I think it's like the danger of like being followed for the rest of your life, but because you, you, you say something clueless when you're like 16 or whatever, like that to me too, is like, like a a danger that's kind of new or certainly enhanced by the, the, the social media ecosystem that we live in, that we live in now. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, the mistakes that we made as children, you know, back in the 1820s, potentially had an audience of our family, our friends, the other people on the farm. (laughs) But, you know, there was not a global audience. There wasn't, you know, an eager community of people you know, ready to screenshot one second of a video and make us famous for falling or, you know, having a weird facial expression, something that will follow us potentially for, for, for who knows how long. Um, So yeah, we, we talked about, you know, Ava Rose and one of the things that we haven't really like um, talked about explicitly is the way that this gets manifested um, along gender lines Mm -hmm. and the ways that, the the very real dangers for young women in particular, um, and particularly young women of color in this space. As with everything, you know, just getting the the short end of the stick. But the the vitriol, the violence, you know, the the violence of the the words and the attention directed at these young people. Um, when they dare to not be available 24-7 in the ways that folks demand is unconscionable. You know? Uh, yes. And the, although you although you you do occasionally see um uh men having to deal with that kind of attention, it is not remotely comparable in terms of the amount or intensity. Yeah, I mean I, I would say I do encourage Listeners to this podcast, the links will be in the show notes to read that the the, the Vice story about Ava Rose. I mean, the harassment. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the I mean, harassment is too mild a word for it. The you know she was stalked and she, yeah, the terror, yeah. the terrorization like that that mm-hmm. she had to endure was was pure like male sexualized you know, uh, uh, like entitlement to her body, to sex, to et cetera. Um, Yeah. I also think that like uh, on these lines, one thing that I see and hear all the time from um, marginalized creators is, especially women um, of of all backgrounds, uh, talking about like, yeah, you know, I get harassment, you know, like, like Mm -hmm. that there's a normalization. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I'm having like a knee jerk reaction to seeing this and hearing this so often these days where it's just like, yeah, you know, it just kind of comes with being online, but my fans are really nice. Like the nice ones are really nice. And that like makes up for everything. And I'm like, no, it fucking doesn't like the reality is. And anyone who tells you that like, yeah, they get some bad comments, but the good ones outweigh the bad are fucking lying. And I tell mm-hmm. you this because of actual human psychology. Like, this isn't just like, oh, I'm bitter or whatever. Like, right. we we tend, our brains tend to focus and obsess on the bad stuff more than the good stuff. And that's just like how humans are not, in a lot not, of ways. Not to say don't, I mean, you know, not to say don't send those, like, you know. Yes. When, I, when I was at GameSpot and I, and I was getting flooded sometimes with like transphobic shit, or whatever, like having people say, hey, I want you to know I really appreciate what you do, like was meaningful. So, you know, totally like, yes, please do for- let people know that you have their back, that you admire them and, and all of that. But yeah, I just want I just need I just really want us to wreck it. So 100 percent, Carolyn, thank you for clarifying that, because it does matter. Like yes. it does matter to hear that what you're doing is valuable and useful yes. and and that you're you're cared for. But um, I, I just I don't want folks to get confused when people are trying to brush off the the reality of their lives because right. it's harder to deal with than it is to like actually reckon with the harm. And I can only say that as someone who's like 10 years out from this shit, you know, like I was, probably, oh, yeah. I was saying the same fucking th- thing in the middle of it, you know, like, and at different phases, I was like, it doesn't affect me because and, you become yeah. so immune to it, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't. Right. And so yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm very troubled by the fact that, when a part of this, like being online, having a modicum of an audience, whatever that size may be, 
results in an an acceptance <laughs> begrudgingly like, yeah. like, that like right. you are going to be harassed right. and that right it, it, it normalizes it's like well this is just the way it is right it normalizes and, the status quo rather than taking the position of yeah. no this sucks and we have to change it yeah. and in one of those articles that ebony you gave us to read there was a father mm-hmm. who who makes tiktoks with his five-year-old and is like yeah you know it's fine i just like block people oh and God. stuff and i'm yeah. like are you f-? and then he's like and i have conversations and my kid's really smart and i was like what the fuck? Like, yeah. whatever, you know, I'm not a parent. I'm not here to judge you. But like, let's not trivialize the fact that like people the are cost mean. Bene- <laughs> yeah, know? the cost benefit analysis that that dude is doing on behalf of his child is just stunning to me. But yeah, I think like we absolutely need to talk about the and I'm not being hyperbolic here. The PTSD mm-hmm. that exactly that, that people, yeah. you know, are having to deal with because yeah, I remember, you know, in that article, Ava Rose saying like, you know, I deal with it. And you know, there's a, there's a certain like comforting lie that you have to tell yourself just to get through the day. But I'm trying to imagine like the hyper vigilance that she has to live her life with now um, that she has been put in this position. And it does not matter if she went on TikTok, showed her ass. It doesn't matter. if She came on there in a nun outfit there is no way in which what she has been subjected to is in any way deserved. And yet we accept it. And it is so easy for us to look away because this fame machine, you know, keeps churning out a never ending, you know, <laughs> soft serve of, of things to look at and things to comment upon. And, you know, uh, you know, people to, to obsess over, people to hate. It, it is as if we can no longer... Um, exist in a, a, a cultural space in which there's any distance from the art and the artist and ourselves, you know, the, the two must become one. And so you have, you know, in so many ways, people um, making their fandom and their relationship to someone famous a fundamental part of of who they are and their worldview. And one of the things I don't know that, that we have, you know, time to get into deeply, but you mentioned Star Wars, mm-hmm. um, Carol, and I'm thinking about like um, Kelly Tran, right? Sure. And, you know, just being chased off social media by these horrible, horrible fans yeah. who, you know, have an idea of what Star Wars is to them, which is largely white and male and fascist, um, and who simply could not countenance her presence online. And so we're determined to make her it's, life a living hell. And, I mean, exactly. And and there's like, but but this, I feel like this is also all rooted in like consumerism to like, oh, yeah. like it's ex- like, it's very similar to, to me anyway, there's a lot of parallels to like gamers who identify very strongly with their big uh, AAA gaming franchises, right? And whose identities get taken, whose, whose like idea of like the source of meaning in life is like the next, you know, whatever, Call of Duty release or what mm-hmm. have you. And who then Cyberpunk. might- what? Or, or yeah, or, <laughs> and who might like then, then if the game doesn't in some way meet their, their expectations or like betrays their expectations, who may send, you know, uh, uh, d- hateful messages or death threats to like the game devs because they nerf a, a, a particular gun that they like to use in multiplayer or what have you. Um, you know, it, it's, it, that kind of goes back to what I was saying about fandom earlier. It, when it crosses over into this like sense of, of, both ownership, but also like this is this is a central source of meaning in my life. And therefore, if it if it like betrays my expectations, it somehow means that my life means less or right. something, you know, I mean, yeah, that's just like that is such a huge problem in our in our culture where consumer where, where so much money is fueled into building up hype and building up brands and fueling fan uh, fervor around things and making and sending them the the message of like, well, the customer slash fan is always right. And the thing should exist to serve your needs. Yeah. And the person to whom you are addressing this by virtue of having been in this multi-billion dollar grossing product is no longer um, just like you no longer have to treat that person yeah. as a person, right? You know, right. if if you ever did, right? Like the fact that Kelly Tran has you know 
made the money from this incredibly successful movie means that you can say anything to her on Twitter, you know, in the way that you maybe probably wouldn't if she were just some random person in front of you. And of course, some people would, but you know, um, but the, as if there's like permission being given, you know, and it goes back to that, you know, well, if you're famous, there's certain costs to it. Right. And one of the costs is you have to just allow people to say whatever they want to you and your money, you know, um, should be enough for you to feel fine about these things. Like go home and, and cry yourself to sleep on your big pile of money. Um, it's just it's fucked up well, and also we've never had the as direct of a relationship to celebrities as we have like a lot of what we're talking about isn't new you know like like mm-hmm. even you know you were talking about like young people their child actors have been around since acting began right like a lot of this stuff isn't new but I think that social media has opened up this like direct line yes which has created more entitlement and more aggression and more like you know oh. if you wanted to to communicate your feelings to a celebrity you'd have to like <laughs> physically write a fucking letter yeah. Yeah. and right. then like right. that celebrity may or may not look at it or whatever but now it's like you just throw some tweets up and like de- depending on what that celebrity's life is like they might be scrolling through like doom scrolling through their mentions like the rest of us are you know like, well and you know what sucks is like what if they they don't but you know that they've got a pr person who is in charge of reading that stuff. So someone is reading it, right? And then whose job it is to decide whether they have to communicate that information to Celebrity X, either because there's a safety issue or because they're going to be asked about it later, right? Because it's not uncommon for people to be in an interview and for someone to say like, well, on Twitter, they're saying Anita Sarkeesian doesn't eat Cheerios. You know, what do you (laughs) say to that? And it's like, well, I hadn't read those tweets and, you know, but okay, I guess I now have to come up with a response to this. It is it is inescapable. Yeah. I <sighs> um, I, I have something I, like, like, I'm going to save it for the bonus. I have something I like okay. kind of want to work out around like expectations of like political alignment with celebrity and mm. fandom. Ooh. You know, like especially with like left tube stuff and whatever. I think, mm-hmm. that, like, but I, I don't. Bread tube? Bread tube. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I don't. I, I, I don't have it thought out well enough for Maine. <laughs> so we're going to go to alt, which is our bonus. The bonus is really like alt Twitter. Oh, my God. All right. <laughs> well, this might be the week. If you haven't signed up for our Patreon, this might, might be the week be. for you to totally do it. Dumb, and yeah. it might not be, but no refunds will be issued. Um. So, mm. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. so um, I, I feel like we could do multiple episodes on like different pathways that we've taken in this conversation because there's so much oh, for that's sure. really interesting. I do want to say that like, hey, we have a hotline. So if like any of these issues are affecting you or like you're feeling intense about them, like these are the kinds of things that we want to be there for you. So like, you know, I know it's like people who make or play games, but like all of y'all are in are in the inner circle that are listening to this right now. So if you want someone to talk to or need a little emotional support, um, Please text us. It's su- text support to two three three six eight. Wow, I said <laughs> really weird two three three six eight in the U.S. Um, you know, I-, I don't know. I was feeling like a lot came up for me in oh, this. Yeah. No, I appreciate. I appreciate. <laughs> so, like, maybe it did for other people too, and you know, yeah. we're here for you. So, uh, also, That's if awesome. you can't decipher my jibber jabber, uh, just go to gameshotline.org for more info on the hotline. Awesome. All right, y'all. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap up our main for today. So we'll be right back with some freakouts. Just really quick, I wanted to remind you all that the Games and Online Harassment Hotline is here for you, for your friends and your colleagues. We provide emotional support to folks who make or play games, which is such a broad range of people. So, you know, you might not need it today, but maybe you need it tomorrow. So we just want you to know about it. You can learn more at gameshotline.org. Now it's time to talk about what's been thrilling us, moving us, upsetting us, or infuriating us this past week. Ebony, do you have something? I can't yeah, it's remember. Real. I do. It's it's quick, though, because I have not yet finished the book, but I am in love with it. It's called The Good Luck Girls. It's by Charlotte Nicole Davis. I, I believe it's her debut novel. I'm just going to read you real quick the summation that's up on Goodreads, because y- y'all know I'm terrible at these freakouts. I'm, I'm not good at explaining why something has, you know, just like rung my bell. But the Goodreads description reads thusly, Westworld meets The Handmaid's Tale in this stunning fantasy adventure from debut author Charlotte Nicole Davis. 
The country of Arqueta calls them good luck girls. They know their luck is anything but. Sold to a welcome house as children and branded with cursed markings, they're trapped in a life they would never have chosen. When Clementine accidentally murders a man, the girls risk a dangerous escape and harrowing journey to find freedom, justice, and revenge in a country that wants them to have none of those things. It's like a futuristic, like alt-west Thelma and Louise situation. It is so, so good. The main characters are people of color. Um, In fact, I want to say the main characters are all black, but I'm not quite sure because like I said, I haven't, you know, finished the book yet. The world building is absolutely exquisite and by turns horrifying, galling, um, just glaring in your face, real. Um, I am absolutely in love with this book. If I had read this book, it is, um, I, it's considered, I believe, YA. If I had read this book when I was, you know, 14 or 15, I probably would have become a bank robber. It's mm. that good, you know? Um Girls riding the range, shooting guns and taking down rapists and bad guys <laughs> and race. Like, are you kidding me? Like, this is everything I need in the world. So The Good Luck Girls by um, Charlotte Nicole Davis. So consider this um, freak out, you know, 1A and then 1B, I'll come back after I finish the book <laughs> and then tell you like how it wrapped up and, you know, was amazing. But so, so good. Oh, and there's an, there's some like young queer love find oh my god this book is so good y'all okay great yeah <clears throat> i'm excited mm-hmm. um i well okay i first i'm gonna freak out about i'm gonna just piggyback on carolyn's freak out about devotion which was a horror video game that uh she talked about yeah yeah, that, uh, a few weeks back or mm-hmm. last week. I don't remember when. Anyways, um, if you are a follower of us on our Twitch channel, which is FemFreak, <laughs> um, twitch.tv slash FemFreak, uh, I streamed it, streamed some of half the game or so. And uh, it was, it, it is a horror game. Like it is, it is a freaky ass scary game. But Lord, let me tell you, it's, it's beautiful. Like this, the design of it, like the way that the story unfolds, like, if you can, if I can muster the strength <laughs> to play this fucking game, I I highly recommend all of my like horror scary people that like video games and like like environmental storytelling to check out this game. Like, do it with the lights on, get some friends on, whatever you need to do. But it's really it's worth it. That's not actually my freak out. I just wanted to like reiterate, yeah, appreciate it, mm-hmm. and props yeah. to you for. For playing that game, I was I was yeah. really pleased to. Uh, Ka- Carolyn literally came on stream and just like virtually you- held my hand. Yes, <laughs> yeah, basically, yes, yeah. But I needed um, that. Definitely appreciate you uh, you sharing that game with uh, with with your with our viewers. Yeah, man. Okay, so my freak out this week is um, I okay. It's it's by Becky Chambers. I can't remember if I talked about um, the the long way to a small angry planet. Have I freaked out about this book yet? I think I, don't I may remember. have missed it. Anyways, Becky Chambers has this series called the Wayfarer series. The first book is The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet, um, which I absolutely loved. And I just finished the second one in the series called A Closed in Common Orbit. Now, <clears throat> the second book is is separate enough from the first book that you can just read it. Like, if for some mm. reason <clears throat> you don't want to read the first one, you don't need any extra information to understand what's happening in the second one um, for whatever that's worth. Uh, so in the first book, it is this like ragtag team of like, of, of folks that like, it's like a found family in flying in space, like, you know, trying to make money and survive. And it's just like, you know, I can't help but compare it to Firefly, even though I hate Firefly. Um, (laughs) and I think that that show sucks. Uh, but it does have that, (laughs) that feeling of like this, like, found family that I love. Like, Mm -hmm. I love those stories. Um, And I think she does a really beautiful job of, like, building all of these different aliens, right? And all of their backstories and cultures and, like, who these, who, who, like, the the political machinations of them, but also, like, it's such an amusing commentary on how, like, really weird humans are because you're Mm. seeing it reflected from other species who do different things. So like there's one species or one alien species who is like, um, 
like just so affectionate just touch all the time and like everyone touches and cuddles and like there's just so much fucking touch happening that like mm-hmm. she has to adjust to being on a ship with humans where you can't just touch each other all the time and like oh. you know like just fun like just stuff like that that I, I I love I also feel like um one of the things about the book is that there are moments that do feel a little preachy but I kind of loved it because I was like, yeah, man, like, that's a good point. Or like, yeah, you bring it. And like doing it in a way that's still kind of loving as opposed to like, I am now being lectured. Um, so, you know, j- just wanted to call that out. So the second book that I just finished, A Closed in Common Orbit, is about an AI that gets put into a like a synthetic body. And that's illegal. Like you're not allowed to do that because the AIs live in ships or in uh, machines, right? And so it's about this AI having to acclimate to like not having a million cameras and constantly having all of the information from the internet or the equivalent of the internet and like just existing in a body and being like quote unquote human. Um, And so it's just this fascinating exploration of how she adjusts and how she figures out like your identity and like who you are and what that looks like when you're in this new space. It's also contrasted with uh, this other character, Pepper, who comes from um, she's a like a a mass produced uh, like human character that's like fake. They like they build they, they breed these children to work in factories. And so she like you you learn the story of how she liberated herself from that life and it's fucking wild and like fascinating and it also involves another ai and it's just these these characters are like become like your best friends like you really care oh. for them and love them and like w- are really like here for their like support and growth and all of that so i'm loving it so far i'm gonna definitely check out like more in this series by becky chambers so um recommend oh. just to repeat since i just rambled on um Oh fuck! What's the name of the first one? A long, uh, like a, oh. a long way to a small angry planet. Yes, thank you. There you go. My notes are all over the place. And then this one is called um, a closed and common orbit. So, yeah, man, I love I love space families. Mm-hmm. Can we be a space family? Yes. Yes. Right. <laughs> Great. That was easy. Uh, all right, y'all. Are we done? We're done. Submit your own freakout yeah. at feministfrequency.com slash freakout. F R E Q O U T. Thanks so much for listening to Feminist Frequency Radio. Next week, I believe we are talking about uh, Carrie, which was chosen Ooh. by our patrons. Uh, we gave them the option of bad mothers, and you know, it was close. But Carrie, to, Carrie, came to be up. clear, yeah. the original Carrie. Yeah, I don't yes. want to watch that repeat again. No, nah. I've seen it. Yes. It's the same fucking movie. No, no, no. I mean, I haven't seen the reboot, but yeah, the reboot I mean, is even the if same... it tells the same story, it's not the same movie. No, of course. But like the reboot. Okay, I'm going to save this for that episode. Y'all, if you want to okay. hear, if you want to hear my thoughts about the reboot, we'll talk about it next week too. All right. All right. Our show is engineered by Rob Perra. Carrie Stimson provides technicals for artwork by Jamie Varon. And our intro music is by Phil Circus. Thanks for listening. Bye, Bye. y'all.